A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia. Welcome to episode 73. I am thrilled you're here. Um, as you can probably notice with like my content putting out, it's kind of been a little bit irregular. That's because I'm in school. That's because I'm busy. That's because I'm trying to make it in this world and um, keep my head above water. So if uh, you could do... <laughs> also, by the way, did you know Avril Lavigne released a new single recently? It's a Jesus bop. Go listen to it so you can get slain in the spirit in the best way possible. Anyways, glad you're here. Um, a little one announcement. TRP, which is the Reformation Project, is next week in Orlando. You can still get tickets. You can still show up and hang out with the best people ever. I'll be there leading worship and also doing a panel alongside some of my most favorite people in the entire universe. So come out. I'll see you in Orlando. I'll be there on Thursday through Sunday. And I cannot wait to see you. Um, so yeah, let me just go ahead and jump into the podcast today. Today we're talking with my friend Brian G. Murphy, and specifically we're talking about polyamory, non-monogamy, and how it fits into the paradigm of Christianity. And some of you are probably thinking, Kevin, you've gone off the motherfucking deep end talking about non-monogamy, but to be honest, I haven't. This is a conversation that's been happening for a while now, and Christians have yet to touch it. Um, and... Uh, you know, we've been so focused on talking about marriage and marriage equality and same-sex marriage and getting the church to be on board with um, just same-sex relationships and LGBTQIA uh, identities in general, that there's a whole conversation that we have yet to touch or discuss. And some people, even within Christian circles and queer Christian circles, um, are invalidating this kind of conversation and the way that certain people are structuring their relationships through non-monogamy and polyamory. And I think that this is something that needs to be addressed and be recognized. And I also think it's a valid way of building relationships. Um, as somebody who has friends who are polyamorous and non-monogamous, um, and as somebody who wants to be a, a minister and pastor to the queer community, I have to personally recognize that this is a way that people do structure relationships. Um, and we have to, like, we absolutely have to be addressing this and also holding space for um, ways that people live outside of what we think is normative. If queerness is all about breaking down binaries, I think that this is absolutely a big breakaway from the binary of what we think of as either single or in a relationship. Because um, there's, there's a whole different way of doing it. So, um, and just as a matter of transparency, it's something that I myself am personally interested in pursuing as a way of structuring relationships, which is like a big whoa moment. So I guess I'm coming out to you as non-monogamous or interested in non-monogamy. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out like how relationship structures are going to work for me in the future because I'm still a single person at the moment. Um, but yeah, so in this in this conversation, me and Brian get into it. I share a little bit about my own unfamiliarity with this with this conversation, but it's something I think is important. And before I give you a little bit about Brian's story, um, Queer Theology, which is the um, kind of the group that Brian has founded, is going to be doing a online webinar on the basics of polyamory and Christianity. So if you want to get more in depth with this, you can go to queertheology.com slash polyamory to engage with that. Before I jump into the conversation with Brian G. Murphy, a little bit about him. 
He's a writer, designer, and video producer, as well as an artist, activist, and educator. He co-founded QueerTheology.com, where they produce an in-depth resources and host supportive online community for LGBTQ Christians, as well as straight supporters. And they also started Legalized Trans, a media campaign and apparel brand. Um, so that's the basics of Brian G. Murphy. He'll give you a little bit of background on uh, in of his own story when we start the conversation. Um, but I'm thrilled. So come into this with open ears and open minds. And let's dig into it. This is my conversation with Brian G. Murphy. You know what's so interesting is like, I feel like we've seen each other like floating around the internet and we had like little conversations here and there, but we've never actually sat down and had a that real conversation. Correct. We've been talking about collabing for literally years. I think I saw you in real life for the first time at the Philly uh, Trans Wellness mm-hmm. Conference, then the Philly Trans Health Conference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is long overdue. Yeah. Yeah, I had so much fun at that conference. Like, as honestly, to date, like one of my favorite conferences I've ever been to. I really need to get yeah, back. Yeah, it's the amazing. I my my friend Asher that I started Legalize Trans with many years ago. We uh, for a while we're going every single year, and it's just the Philly like wellness conference is just the best out there. <laughs> it's one of the best out there, and I recommend everyone go there. Uh, and if you're not trans, mm-hmm. go and listen. And I've been harassing shane claiborne every year to go for as long as i've known him oh my god honestly shane like would benefit so much from being in that space i've like literally every year for the past eight years i'm like okay shane hey you should go to you gonna sh- you gonna show up you gonna show, you gonna show up, up? <laughs> yeah yeah wow well awesome um well thank you for um deciding to come and hang out with me for this little bit You're um welcome. so before we get into like you know the topic we really want to dig into, I would love for you to like, if, if people didn't know who you were, you're going to a cocktail party, like, and they say, Hey, what do you do? What would you say? I'm a queer theologian and open relationship coach is my one sentence little lingo. Open relationship coach. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. You are Christian. I am. You prefer they, them pronouns. Yeah. He or they. Here are they. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you are um, living in, I don't know where you live, actually. I am I am in the process of moving across the country back and forth. So I am have been in New York City for the past 11 years. Wow. And uh, two weeks ago, I like partway moved to LA, but I'm back in New York City right now. So I'm sort of in between. I'm mm-hmm. a bit of a, a vagabond at the moment. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. You- uh, you know what? The son of man has no place to lay his head, so you're doing just fine, I think. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay. I'm, t- I'm going wherever the gospel demands. Absolutely. You know, blessed are the feet of those who bring the good gay gospel. Mm-hmm. I try. Um, anyways, sorry. Um, <laughs> no. And um, you, um, open relationship. So what's that? Yeah. So yeah. I was going to ask those things. So what that looks what that looks like is uh, five years ago, uh, one of my really good friends, Father Shannon Kearns, and I started QueerTheology.com as a, a resource center and has grown into an online community for LGBTQ Christians and straight cisgender supporters that really looks at what our queerness has to say about our faith and what our faith has to say about our queerness because we believe 
that it's okay to be LGBTQ is the starting line mm-hmm. or the starting point and not the finish yeah. line of any conversations around um, faith and that it's not just okay to be queer, it's like a good and important and a critical part of the diversity of God's creation and queer folks um, have something to offer the church and the world. Uh, so we're spreading the queer gospel. Um, we try and center queer folks and queer experiences while also making space for straight cis folks to come alongside and learn um, from us and from other queer folks. So that's the queer theology piece. And then um, for the past, also like for like eight years or so, I've been in an open slash polyamorous relationship uh, with my boyfriend, Peter, and we've sort I've sort of become the go-to person amongst our friends mm-hmm. to talk to about um, open relationships in particular and relationships in general because folks think that we have a nice relationship mm-hmm. and that it works well. Uh, and so I've been starting to do that uh, a bit more formally with with folks sort of online through through online coaching um, and I'm merging that with queer theology and doing that because I think it's really important to have this conversation in Christian context as well, because there, I know a lot of Christian folks are in open or polyamorous relationships uh, and feel ashamed or don't, or questioning, is it okay? Or, or, or want to, but that they can't, or um, have mm-hmm. desires uh, or, or needs that would like that polyamory or open relationships would really be a benefit to or really serve. And yeah. they don't even know that this exists. And so that's yeah, fantastic. That's <laughs> it really is fantastic. Um, so I think that that's something that I like. I actually didn't really know that was a thing um, until probably the past year. Um, I made some friends who are here in Atlanta, and they are in an open relationship with each other. And at first, I looked at that and I thought that that seems really hokey. This isn't going to last. They're going to break up soon. And like, they're the the one of the most more stable couples that I know. Um, it's just um, yeah. that started getting me thinking about not just um, kind of like the the moral side of it morally like you know it's like that's the thing that is like to- I'm totally fine with like I don't care like what people do it was always the question of just like theologically speaking you know from coming from a conservative Christian tradition like you know I have been taught the ethic of you know saving sex for marriage which like I'm not down with at all anyways but also um, you know, yeah. Sorry, mom, <laughs> yeah. if you're listening, I'm awkward. Um, but the, um, but the, uh, <laughs> the portion of just like, you know, like it's, it's not something that's like depicted in scripture as something that is good or life-giving. Anytime there's like a multiple wives situation, everyone's like, oh, that's not what the Bible would have us do, or that's not what God would have us do. You know what I'm saying? I just like, it's the question of like, from a traditional, is there a traditional perspective or are we like sort of just like, going in a different direction than what even we've done so far, so far in as much as like LGBT inclusive theology goes. Yeah. So uh, we're, if folks are listening and want to dive even deeper, we're hosting a webinar all about this sort of stuff coming up oh, great. October 14th, Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time. You can register for free at careertheology.com slash polyamory. Um, so we'll go into, if we don't cover something here, you can show up to that and ask the question there and, and we'll try and cover and it And even there. if we do cover it there, you should still show up for that anyways. Yeah, exactly. Get more, there'll be even more goodness. It's going to be great. Um, but so, yeah, I think that I see, so a few things. One is that 
I think of this idea that like the polygamous relationships that we see in the Bible were like universally condemned by God is I think is a, um, a like modern look back at that that uh, quite often there are like men having multiple wives and or concubines that like seem to be presented like somewhat like morally neutral uh so I don't think that like condemnation of non-monogamy is inherent Mm -hmm. in the biblical text that being said just because something like appears in the bible doesn't mean it's a good or moral thing I think you know we can look back at the bible rightfully and say like this is this is a reflection of the time or this is a recording history as it went down that's not necessarily yeah. saying that it's got a divine stamp of approval on it just because something happened in yeah the it's not it's not a, it's not a mandate or a commandment right. it's just a yeah right. so i don't necessarily so i so that so just because the bible doesn't condemn all of the polygamous marriages doesn't mean like oh that was that's what we should be doing um so i, I there you know we live in a completely different time and so i think rather than trying to find like is like are Jonathan and David gay, or is there a polyamorous relationship in here? Um, you can with polyamory, you can you can run into the same sort of traps that you get sucked into when it comes to um, LGBT inclusive theology of letting fundamentalism define the terms of the conversation and, and what we're right. looking for and what we're looking at. And so I think it's more important to look at scripture as a body of work. Uh, and as a mm-hmm. movement and as a reflection of of the spirit of God, like working in the world to say, what is, what do we see here? And like, where do we find the divine here? And what are the themes here? Um, and I think the same, many of the same themes apply when it comes to looking at queer relationships. So for those of us who are LGBT and did a lot of this work already to figure out our, our queerness, it's, you know, it's a lot of the same work of of love, of justice, of um, agency, of caring for one another, that those are sort of at the heart of scripture, right? And I, you know, I think um, when we think of the Trinity, right, there's like the Godhead three in one. Um, Patrick Chang in, in one of his books, right, that like the Trinity is an orgy. And so I I think that there are yeah right it's good (laughs) i mean that would be ultimate uh, pleasure and i think that's what god like is wanting us to find in this lifetime so i'm down yeah and you know i I think that like just at a basic level we understand that like god can love all of god's children and 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 people like a parent can love all of their children and so we like understand that love is not finite Mm -hmm in many other contexts and so i like i don't think it's a stretch to say like romantic love is also uh not finite time is finite and resources are sometimes finite um and so you have to you know make careful ethical decisions about how you conduct your life obviously but that that like love is of Mm -hmm. god and love is abundant and so like love is a good thing who doesn't want more (laughs) love um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Over the summer, I read through The Ethical Slut, and then I read through um, More Than Two, which both of these texts, mm-hmm. like when I went into them with a lot of curiosity, because this is like a question I'm wanting to answer for myself, because um, I imagine that I could be in some form of an open relationship situation. Um, just I haven't, um, mm-hmm. you know, ever been with a partner who, I mean, I haven't, I actually haven't had many partners at all. 
um, in my only, I've only been out for three years. Um, but I haven't found someone who's just like, as like, who's just down to at least like experiment or try or like look into it because I think there's so much, uh, inner work that someone has to do, um, to be like really like mature enough to handle this kind of relationship. Not saying that everyone does it perfectly, but like, it takes a lot of courage and maturity to even like venture into something like this. Yeah, I think what I what I love about polyamory open relationships um, is that you need all of the same skills to be in a polyamorous relationship as you need to be in a monogamous one. You need, you know, trust and communication and the ability to process your like feelings and articulate your needs and work through jealousy in mm-hmm. a healthy way. Uh, so like you need all those things for monogamy also, but I think, uh, if you don't have those things, the, the sort of, because monogamy is like so socially enforced, Mm -hmm. uh, it almost like makes it easier to, to push those under the rugs that like the the society is propping up your relationship in so many other ways. Mm -hmm. And also reinforcing these toxic ideas that like, uh a partner being so jealous of you that you talk to someone else that they like fly into a violent Mm -hmm. rage rage is like sexy and so like we sometimes society labels things that are actually harmful to relationships as as normal or sexy uh and so polyamory sort of you need all of those same tools and if you don't have them it's just like a multiplier you become um that like the the, the cracks yeah. are even that much more apparent. If you like can't communicate with one partner, it's going to be even worse if you have three partners that you're not communicating well. So with. It's like that was like that's something that like I had a discussion with a friend recently, a very heated discussion, where I was kind of like I was defending non-monogamy and polyamory to to him, basically saying just like not even saying that like he has to think it's okay for himself. I'm just like you can say that like you know, I don't believe a polyamorous or open relationship would be right for me because like non-monogamy is not right for everybody. Like some people like really benefit from being in a monogamous relationship because that's just kind of how they're built. And I think sometimes for folks who want to engage in non-monogamy, it's not, um, it's just, I don't know how to describe it. Like at least within my person, it just, it just feels right to me. It feels like something that would natural, like naturally occurs. Does that make sense? Yeah, so um, uh, I have so many thoughts on just that one little bit, but um, I I remember the first time I was exposed to a polyamorous or non-monogamous relationship. I was doing this thing, which you may have heard of, called the Equality Ride, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. For, for those of you who haven't, goes across the country at the time. This was the, the way that it worked was we would visit um, conservative Christian colleges that discriminate against LGBT people to talk about the intersections of faith, gender, justice, sexuality, uh, and the shitty theology that supports their discriminatory policies. And so I, I not, not a student at one of these schools, but at some point along the ride, I met a person who was in a non-monogamous relationship. And there was, I remember at the time being like, oh, this is like, um, you know, all of the, all of the bad things that they're saying about us are true and we can't settle down. And also there was something about, there was something about about this particular woman who just like made me bristle. I just like, didn't think she was like a nice person. (laughs) So I was like, well, that's like, that's not for me. I'm like, I'm not going to be like that. You know, I'm going to be a good, I'm going to be a good gay. I'm going to be a good Um, gay Christian. I'm going to find me a man. 
I'm going to settle down yes. and pay someone to grow me a baby. And yeah, and I'm going to like feel bad about having sex before marriage. I'm like still going to do it, but I'm going to like feel bad about it. <laughs> Isn't it always like, the way? I have to get in the show. always a- Or I'm like, I'm, I'm going to like not do it. And then like three months later, I'm going to break down and do it in the middle of the night. And I'm going to come home and like shower and like sit on the floor of the shower, just sort of like trying to oh. get myself. Does this, this, is this autobiographical uh, or? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'll let you decide. But so I, you know, I think that, that both that, especially for queer, queer people and queer Christians, like we're already feeling these like pressures of respectability politics. And so I think it's really difficult to untangle for anyone, even if you're a cis hat person who's like non like non-religious, our whole world is set up around monogamy mm-hmm. and reinforces monogamy. And so I definitely agree that people should choose the relationship structures that work for them and that like not everyone needs to be polyamorous if you want to be monogamous or if you want to be single uh like great I that is I fully support you in that like my queer theology partner Shay he is in a monogamous relationship and also I think that because of all of secular society and religious society and years of queer shaming like have modeled for us a certain type of relationship it's like really difficult to untangle i am independently of all of yeah. that like not built for monogamy i mean not, not built for polyamory versus everything around tells me everything around yeah. me tells me i should be monogamous and so i'm not even i'm just going to decide that it's not for me and not considered and so i would invite I would invite folks to explore various types of relationship structures, even if that doesn't really mean engage in them, but just think about them, research them, imagine how it would feel, talk to your therapist. Do a thought um, experiment. Do a thought experiment. There's this, I just finished reading this book called Sex at Dawn, which is sort of an anthropological, oh, yes, biological yes, yes. perspective. Uh, and they're basically like, we're all bonobos and humans are very, very similar to bonobos and uh, society... Uh, there's a way where it could look where we just all sort of have communal living and sex um, both as procreative but also for bonding and socializing and pleasure and um, that like multi-male like everything, pairing. That's yeah. everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, uh, queer folks in general um, and I, as a queer man, can speak specifically from like a queer man context, like have a long history of engaging in open relationships uh and as marriage has sort of like taken this forefront i think there's a lot of pressure to conform to that and i think Mm. that's sort of a shame because there's this like rich history that folks of all genders and sexualities can learn from that um i can like all of my friends not all most of my good friends i met either through sex or through uh like i hooked up with this person and he hooked up with that person and like he's dating that person and that's his like best friends from college, his new boyfriend, um, that in my friend group, like sex and hooking up has been a like central part in what about us all together. And I don't actively hook up with all of my friends now, but it's like, oh yeah, I met you four years ago on Grindr and we hooked up three times or we went on a few dates and it like didn't work out, but now we're friends. And I think there's a richness that comes with um, sort of blurring those boundaries uh, of like capturing yeah. the binary uh, to say like it doesn't have to be there's just one and only and they are supposed to meet all of your needs mm-hmm. and then there's everyone else 
and they're like all sort of disposable. Um, that we sort of have this like interlocking network of friendships and each relationship can be what it is and can become what it needs to become uh, and, and evolve and grow. And we can sort of honor each other, yeah. like where we are. And like when, as I was, um, first of all, that statement, I met most of my good friends through sex. I just think that is, it sounds dreamy and like beautiful to me. Um, because like I have had like this thought cross my mind where I have said to myself, like, you know, I would probably have sex with most of my friends because just like <laughs> I love them and I want I would love to share that experience with them. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And and like it's like for so many people they're gonna look at like hear me say that and be like, What? Ugh. And I'm like, I just like why why is it bad to want sex? Why is it bad to want to share an experience of bringing someone you love pleasure? Yeah, I, so a few years ago for Queer Theology, I made a YouTube video about um, finding God or like learning about God's love through hooking up through promiscuity. I think I made a YouTube video and I wrote an article about it. Um, but yeah, there's like, there's something really divine about uh, seeing someone really fully taking care of their needs and being attentive to them, um, creating pleasure together. Um, in the video, I joke like welcoming the stranger hey. <laughs> is a biblical value, right? Like, uh, and so I think like there there can also be like it's really beautiful to have like you know like sex with your best friend, and also like it can be really you can also find the divine in like an anonymous blowjob in a stairwell, right? Like that, like that God is God is there too. Yeah, and also just like I think there's like because it can be something like that where it can be just like a quick anonymous thing. And you're just like, you know, like we both had a need met in this moment. Yeah. How wonderful is that? I mean, it can also be terrible, right? Like, I don't want to say that, like uh, <laughs> we all know that sex with strangers and with people we know and trust can be terrible and sometimes even abusive. Right. Yeah. Like, um, so yeah. I don't want to like paint a glitter brush over all of this, but, but like there's, oh, there's yeah. going to be something really wonderful there. Yeah. The, this, as I was reading like things like The Ethical Slut and More Than Two, which um, I need to figure out what my next book is. So if you have any recommendations, which I'm sure you do, um, I or Just Sex, I think is the one I need to read next. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, well, there was like a few things that like as, as, as I was reading it that I said, like, even for people who don't want to enga- yes. engage with non-monogamy, yes. there is so much that yes. you can learn from the polyamorous community and just from uh, like polyamorous and queer theory around relationship and relationship structures. Like the, the thing that I keep like going back to is like, ask for what you want, Uh, Mm -hmm. own your own emotions, Mm -hmm. Um, communicate directly with people Mm -hmm. and um, don't be afraid to name things like jealousy because jealousy doesn't have to be this thing that eats away at you. You can name it and you, it can lose its power over you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like, that like what would happen if we all told the truth and asked for what we wanted, right? Amen. 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 Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I I encourage everyone to read the ethical slut just because um no matter wh- what you ch- how you choose to structure a relationship, there's so much good stuff in there that I think will help enrich uh, monogamous relationships. All of all of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like. N- powerfully choosing monogamy out of all of the options that are available to you is 
so much more powerful and healthy and will make your relationship solid than defaulting to monogamy because it's the only thing you know or it's you think you have to mm-hmm. um or if you don't do that god's gonna hate you and xyz um that 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 like choose monogamy because you're choosing it not because mm-hmm. because you have yeah. to i think that's so like because there's so many times where like i feel like there's people who like have this part of them where they like want to explore something like that but they're so afraid to even bring it up and this there's just this unnamed desire that sits there. And like, I think like when you leave desire unnamed and don't give a voice to it, um, not even like having to act on it, but not even being able to voice it is like, it turns into something like really foul inside. It becomes like a shame and a weight that you carry. And then sometimes it manifests itself in like actions that fall outside of your values. Yeah. And I think we can see that same sort of idea with, with queer folks, right. That like, um when you like have attractions to someone like of the same gender that you can't voice it just sort of like festers and it becomes mm-hmm. shame and yeah. play at you and like you're more likely to engage in risky behavior or do yeah. things that you later regret and so i you know like not that folks need to or should indulge every sort of thought that comes into their mind or every desire so. but i think like if you're if you have desires repressing them and shaming yourself for them isn't going to make them going away like what can you like can you sit with them what can you learn from them and I think also like knowing that you know I think we just need to start talking like you don't stop being attracted to other people when you enter into a relationship mm, with someone come right? on, <laughs> like come we just like, on. need to name that like I don't like everyone is attracted to people at some point uh or or find like if you experience sexual attraction obviously yeah. like um uh, or like we can like observe that people are pretty or handsome um, and that doesn't mean like I want to have sex with them right yeah. like you can also think someone's attractive without wanting to bang mm-hmm. them um, but just to sort of like name like oh I think that person's attractive or I like really enjoy talking to this person and I like have squishy emotional feelings about yeah. this person like that it already we're already having some level of polyamory even within the midst of monogamy and so just like noticing that and naming it and also knowing that that doesn't mean you don't love your partner mm-hmm. that you're with if you have a partner that you're not attracted to them that you're not good enough um it's like a yes it's like a yeah. yes and it's like yes you can <laughs> still be committed and in some sort of committed romantic partnership with somebody and also have attractions to other people yeah and i i think also right that like there's a spectrum of monogamy right I, there are there's and this like may seem silly uh, for folks because I think everyone says like, oh, I know what monogamy is. But for some people, being in a monogamous relationship means like no looking at porn, like no <sighs> masturbating at all. If you like touch your if you touch your genitals without your partner, I that's cheating on do them, not right? understand that. Course, I like, do you, not. Like, you, I don't understand it either. But that, but like some people draw the line right there, right? And then some people draw the line. That like masturbation is okay, but like porn isn't. And then some people draw the line saying like masturbation and porn is okay, but like watching a, um, a like a, a cam, mm-hmm. like a one way cam, is like not okay because that's like more interactive. And some people would say, well, that's okay because they can't see you. But if it was just a one on one cam experience, that would be cheating. Like some people would say it's, if it's in person, like there's all sorts. Some people yeah, say have, have sex. You're just like emotionally, you know emotionally cheating so like people draw their lines in all sorts of different ways and 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 jagged patterns and so we're already 
somewhat arbitrarily drawing the line and every person is going to draw that line somewhat differently. And so uh, my suggestion is to just like think about where and why you're drawing those lines um, and, and, and like, does that serve you and your relationship uh, and your partner or is that hindering you? And, and what might it be yeah. like to draw the line somewhere else in a way that is ethical and respectful and powerfully chosen and um I, I have been doing this for and in, uh, i've been polyamorous for like eight or nine years and so it now is I, I still get jealous sometimes or have bumps along the road sometimes but with practice comes you know skill but i like it took me uh, at least eight months from the time that my boyfriend and i started considering this and talking about it until we decided, decided like mm. hey yes let's open up our relationship and then it took years to like work out all of the kinks i know the first time my boyfriend started seeing someone like somewhat regularly and they didn't even call themselves like dating or they were just like a friend, but they were like hooking up and hanging out a lot. And I remember like all of this, all this feelings came up and I was like, Ugh. and I remember if I, if mm -hmm. I could have like vetoed him and said like, no, you have to stop seeing him. I like 100% mm -hmm. would have. And now he is like one of my best friends in the whole world and sort of like the epicenter of our queer family. And I'm like, so, so glad that I didn't um, veto him or couldn't veto him. But um that that yeah that, that polyamory can enrich your life and i mm -hmm. i like see the divine God, I love in all of these connections um can i um ask like a bible question yeah. about this um because like i think the thing that like so many detractors yeah, sure. uh -huh. will point us is like you don't see polyamory in the bible um at least like in the in the way that polyamory is being practiced today, which, which also like that to say that like there are many ways to practice polyamory as there are sure. people practicing it. So like, you can't really say like, this is a, this is the model for how you do it. Totally. So anyways, all that, but like, so like, w w how do you respond to that when they say it's not in the Bible? Yeah. I mean like cars aren't also in the Bible and we don't say like, you shouldn't be driving cars. right? Like it does um, say to take care of the environment though. So I don't know right? what you'll say. So maybe we shouldn't be having cars. Um, I think that again, this is one of those uh, ways where we have to like be really careful not to let fundamentalism, which, like by the way, is a very modern like construct and way of understanding Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's totally a, a newfangled uh, religious idea, right? Mm -hmm. Because that we can't let fundamentalism define the conversation. And I remember my sixth grade Sunday school teacher told me that the Bible stands for basic instructions before nope. leaving Earth. Nope. Yep. <laughs> and that the Ten Commandments were like the quick start guide. The quick start and that the rest guide. of the Bible Yes, like the Bible was your user manual, but the Ten Commandments were your quick start guide. Right? I cannot. And I cannot. I know. Like, song, you know I what know. you know what my quick start guide is Song of Solomon, honey. Honey. Mm, amen, right? Amen. Nothing gets me going. Mm, 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 mm. Rachel's wetness. Um uh so, um, yeah, so, so that, that, that the Bible is not, there are some religious texts that are like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And the, like, neither the Hebrew scriptures nor the Christian Bible are, are that type of religious text. Obviously, within the Hebrew Bible, there are, there is like some of that in certain context, for certain contexts, right? But like the Hebrew Bible as a whole, it like mm -hmm. is not that. 
that um, the Bible is a, a record of God's people wrestling with big questions like who are we and what is our place in all of this and how do we relate to each other and to that which is bigger than ourselves, which we call God, um, and, and how are we supposed to live and move um, through this world? And so um, you get a smattering of history and poetry and and temple laws and letters and some like weird and some weird and some mean asshole named paul who really just like was a misogynist let's be honest yeah he he's got a lot of problems there's he's got some good stuff but he also he also like thought the world was ending like if you read some of his letters in the beginning he like thought the world was ending not at some vague point in the future in his lifetime, right? <laughs> so like, so it's like y'all gotta get it together now, y'all. Yeah. So that he also Paul also thought that no one should be married, right, or have sex at all. Yeah. Um, and so when we talk about like what's the Ugh. biblical definition of marriage, like Paul was like very clear, like don't get married unless you absolutely have to as a last resort. Like then, then get married. I, I've tried everything. Yeah. You know, we should have did. Say to all these pastors, have you tried to be celibate? Have you tried this? And because... that, yeah, exactly. And that, in a way, makes sense for someone who thought the world was ending in five years and there was, like, shit to do to get everyone ready. Like, maybe that would be distracting. I know, um, like, shit, my, my career theology partner, Shay, was celibate for a number of years. He, like, came out, was a not celibate, like, gay Christian, queer Christian, um, knew that it was okay to be having gay sex but just, or queer sex or sex at all. Um, and but just uh, decided to take a break from sex and dating and relationships to to focus on other things. He was like, I'm an introvert. I have like limited emotional resources. I work at a church where I expend a lot of that. I just like want to focus on myself for a few years. Um, and so he was like, sort of like being a little bit like Paul, <laughs> Paul in that way. But then that like no longer served him. So now he's not anymore. So I, all that is to say that we like don't have to find a gay person like tm in the bible for it to be right or like here's a here's a like transgender like so they're in the bible that's just like you know or here's a polyamorous Mm -hmm. person that's like not that's like not what we're searching for that like queerness exists in the bible you can find transness in the bible shay has this whole book about um uh, sort of a trans take on the passion narrative and seeing his trans self in wow. Christ. Um, it's really beautiful. Uh, if you go to koreatheology.com slash resources, it'll be there somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, so that, like, I don't think that you have to find a relationship that just look, that looks exactly like yours in scripture for it mm-hmm. to, to be a-okay, that um, we see throughout it a model of like wrestling and trying to figure mm-hmm. out like what is good. And then it's up to us to wrestle with God in our mm-hmm. own lives, in our own time. Uh, Listen, just because it ain't in the Bible don't mean it ain't biblical. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, I think, and I think that's like where people have to understand. And like, this is also something I need to wrap my own head around is like how much of the theology that was handed to me is uh, colonial theology. How much of it is mm-hmm. white supremacy uh at work so how much of it is um you know how much of it is still good and what are like the the good things i can take from what was handed to me but like i really like if i'm going to be critical of all these other things like and i refuse to interrogate this part of my theology around relationships marriage and like what fidelity looks like um 
like then I I don't believe I, myself to be like a good steward of my of my resources. Absolutely, and that's good. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I I think that's like the thing that's like been drawing me to this thing. I'm just like because like if God is continually further and further outside of the margins, like I just feel like I keep discovering another layer of where God is, where I thought God was yeah, not. And, you and know? that's biblical, right? Like first Thessalonians five twenty one uh, tells us to test everything and hold on to fast, hold fast to that, which is good. And so this idea of questioning what you believe, questioning the faith that was handed to you is not a bad thing. It's like a very, it's a deeply biblical thing uh, to, to be doing. And so I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and sort of trying to sort through uh, like, what is from God and, and what is from man. And, you know, also I'm, I can't shake that evangelical, uh, you like Matthew. Um, I want to say it's Matthew seven talks about, um, like the fruits of the spirit, like by your testing, testing theology, yes. um, like to know that, that come on, I talk about this all yeah, the damn that, like, time. You can, you can judge a theology by the fruits that it bears. And, you know, I say like the fruits of affirming theology lead to a return to faith. They lead to life. They lead to health. They lead to prospering. And like anti-gay theology or anti-career theology leads to like depression, death. despair, death, destruction. Yes. And so I think also, that that same lens should be applied to everything um what and and i think also that's that lens right is how people worry about um we're so we're hosting this webinar um coming up which you can register for at creatology.com slash polyamory but we're hosting this webinar folks are submitting questions and one of the things that someone submitted was like well if couldn't this be a slippery slope to like to incest and to bestiality which is like i'm like do you recognize that this is exactly what people said about accepting yes the literal same argument but i think this lens of like of this matthew 7 of like um of of judging a theology by its fruits is how we stay off the slippery slope that like mm-hmm. we're, we're not. I'm not asking you to, to mm, support reality, right? Like I'm asking you to consider this, and it, it, it won't lead to X, Y, Z. Because when we look at those yeah. things, we will judge that by their fruits, and we will like see that it is either like good or bad, or of God or yeah. not, or leads to health or leads to destruction. Yeah, and also taking it like a step up from there. Like, if we all can at least agree agree on some form of certain universal ethics, like things around, like, uh, consent, I think that is, like, such a big thing. And I think that's the thing that is the linchpin for all of this, is that every every single bit of this is found in consent. So, like, when people say, like, it's going to lead to bestiality, I'm just like, an animal cannot consent, therefore, that is not ethical. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's the same thing with, like, uh, you know, if people say, underage stuff child marriage i'm like no like there's consent 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 and it has to come back to this enthusiastic and continuous consent because like i think that's the crux of this whole thing people are just like oh you're sleeping around it's like no like i'm not sleeping around like me and my partner have talked about this like this like we know what's going on so like if, if it's serving us like what business is it of yours yeah i i say that my found my relationship on honesty communication consent and trust uh and that's sort of like the bedrock for for my relationship and i think that can be the bedrock for monogamous relationships as well we, mm-hmm. we both uh, can uh, can all sort of agree on on those things yeah 
And earlier you were earlier you were talking about like fidelity and commitment. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's like you know that you can you can uh, you can be faithful to someone and committed to someone and not be sexually exclusive with them or emotionally like not exclusive with them, right? Mm. Um, and I think likewise we can all imagine or maybe have even been in uh, monogamous relationships where people were like not particularly committed to us Mm -hmm. um, or were not particularly faithful to us. Like maybe they weren't having sex with someone else or they weren't um, like having an emotional affair with someone else, but they like, they weren't kind to us. They weren't taking our needs into consideration. They were emotionally Uh, manipulative. Careless and thoughtless. They were, yeah, emotionally manipulative, abusive, right? So so I think people often think like, I can't imagine, like I need, I need monogamy in order to feel safe and feel committed. And usually people try to use monogamy as a tool to get other things like safety, stability, support, um, being seen, being heard, being understood. Um, and it sometimes gets you that, but it doesn't, doesn't guarantee that you'll get those things. And so if you can dig into what your needs are and express your needs directly, uh, I think that will be more effective in getting your needs met than hoping and praying and wishing that monogamy will somehow magically fulfill all of your needs because it probably won't. (laughs) I was telling somebody else about our conversation earlier today that we were going to have, um, and, so, and she was asking me, like, well, what do you think about that? I'm just like, well, like, here's the deal. Like, and she asked me the same question. just like, how does this square up with what you find in the Bible? I'm just like, honestly, it doesn't. Like, like, I don't know. I said, but at the same time, just like the thing that has led me this far has always been trusting my body and like trusting my spirit and trusting that like God is big enough to handle my questions and is still going to go with me into my exploration. Um. So it's one of those yeah, things where just like, man. I could like go into this whole thing and then realize that, okay, maybe I'm not built for this. Um, or the conversely, like I go into it and I find that there's an abundance of love that I can access and take advantage of. And that's what, that's what I'm looking for. Like, I like, and who does and that's, who doesn't want more love, you know? Yeah. So we would love to have folks um, mm. on this online workshop at, going to be at careertheology.com slash polyamory and if you miss it if it's past october 14th there will be something at that page um about polyamory in the future that that page will um, evolve as we continue to to build more resources around christianity uh, and polyamory and how that intersects mm-hmm. with how we read the bible and how we build a sexual ethic um those are things we've already talked about for theology mm-hmm. and we'll be uh linking to those as well i think this is a really important conversation to be having oh, Christians are sexual beings. I know. And, yes. And it's and 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 that our and our sexuality is uh, an integral part of our faith and a gift to the church, and we do a disservice to the community and to the divine when we try and uh, hide that away behind closed doors. That we need to to live into a healthy sexuality, and, and sometimes that means talking about polyamory. <laughs> yeah. On the hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. That was my conversation with Brian G. Murphy. 
If you want to connect with Brian, you can do that across social media at BrianGerald.com, at, on Twitter at ThisIsBGM, and also connect with Queer Theology at QueerTheology.com and QTheology on Twitter. Brian, thanks so much for sitting down with me. This was a really helpful conversation for me, and I'm excited to continue expanding this conversation beyond just this one. Once again, if you want to get involved with their online webinar about polyamory and Christianity, you can go to QueerTheology.com slash polyamory and get signed up for that. That comes out, it starts on Sunday. And yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. Um, now credits. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 110 amazing people on Patreon. And if you don't know what Patreon is, it's this amazing way for you to support the creatives in your life that are creating the content that matters. So if this conversation was important to you, if you thought it was inspiring or eye-opening or got you curious about wanting to know more, maybe consider supporting this work. Maybe consider becoming somebody who is uh, supporting the artists in your life. Because, um, honey, this shit ain't free. I'm paying a, I pay for all the services, including hosting fees and editing fees and all those other kinds of things, as well as just being a normal human trying to pay my bills. So if this was good for you and you want to continue to support the work, go to patreon.com slash Garcia and learn how you can support this work. One other great way to support this is to leave us a rating on iTunes. Um, it's a great way to, you know, if you don't have the coins to be throwing around to support this financially, supporting us via social media, by sharing this podcast um, on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are online, um, or even just leaving us a rating in iTunes really helps get the show in front of people who need to hear it. And we're about to creating more spaces for more freedom. You know what I'm saying? So go ahead and do that. And then connect with me across social media at the Kevin Garcia on my website, thekevingarcia.com. And I think that is everything. I'll see you in Florida next week for the Reformation Project. Until then, go see your therapist, drink some water, move your body, eat something delicious. And if you're at Pride in Atlanta this weekend, hit me up. I'd love to say, hey, uh, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you soon, honey. Bye.